Man, that reminds, that was the opening cantata number, wasn't it, Josh? It was, wasn't it? Why, well, don't play me like that. Man, I'm up here in front of everybody. Come on. Wasn't, that, wasn't cantata great? Cantata was awesome. Good job, y'all. Well done, well done. Man, uh, I was telling somebody earlier, I've been, thankfully, you've allowed me to be at Christ Chapel long enough where my internal clock is, is all wired toward Christ Chapel, which means my Christmas mind doesn't kick in until cantata. And like, I have to, I have to hear cantata, and then I'm like, oh, it's Christmas. Problem, it was a week later this year, and so I'm a week behind, which is somebody was, I was talking to somebody this past week, and I I was asking them a question. I just said, hey, are you ready for Christmas? Which I don't even really understand what that means. Uh, I asked the question, so forgive me if I asked you. But I was like, are you ready? And I said, you better be because it's coming like a freight train. And I thought, there's probably not a whole lot of positive emotion that a freight train (laughs) evokes, you know? And they're like, here's this encouraging pastor, you know, talking about Christmas and a freight train. I was like, because when I think of a freight train, you know, I think of, of pressure and, and, and anxiety and, and fear. Those are the things I think about when I think about staring down, you're standing on the tracks and staring down a freight train that, that's coming. So I've realized that when I asked that person the question and, and said, you better be ready because it's coming like a freight train, it was probably more representative of how I was viewing Christmas more than, any, more than, than they were. But then it got me to thinking that probably a lot of us view the Christmas season like a freight train. That it's coming and it's coming quickly and we all probably have a little bit of pressure that we feel or anxiety or maybe even fear associated with the Christmas holidays. You know, maybe some of you, you're thinking, maybe not so much as Christmas, but even end of, the, end of the year, and you're feeling the pressure of the end of the year. You know, some of you made New Year's resolutions. You don't have much time to fill those. <laughs> or you're just feeling the pressure of the accelerated deadlines. There's stuff you want to get done or need to get done before the end of the year. Or some of you have anxiety around the holidays. Maybe you're anxious because uh, maybe you're in debt. And you want to buy Christmas gifts and you just are, are anxious about what that bill's gonna be when you finish. Well, I, maybe you're anxious because you're gonna have to see some folks that you haven't seen in a while. Maybe you're gonna see some folks at a corporate party or something like that that you don't know. And it just fills you with anxiety. And you'd rather just get through it rather than actually enjoy it. You don't even see how you could enjoy it. And maybe some of you have fear associated with the holidays. Maybe there's fear associated with the holidays because this will be the first holiday season or Christmas that you faced without a loved one. And you don't know how that's gonna go. I'd be very afraid. Or maybe you're afraid that this will be the last Christmas with a loved one and you wanna enjoy it. And you're afraid that you gotta make more memories or you hope they see another Christmas. I mean. All of these emotions that come from thinking about a freight train are actually very real emotions that a lot of people face when we talk about the holidays. But that's not the right kind of fear. The fear of the freight train is not the fear that the Lord wants us to have. He wants us to have a different kind of fear 
when we face Christmas. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 128, please. Psalm 128. If you're opening one of the blue Bibles, it's page 518, 518. But we're going to continue our series through the Psalms of Ascent. And I just, just wanted to do a quick review for you on we, we've used that phrase a lot. What, what are the Psalms of Ascent? Remember, the book of Psalms, those were a poem or a song or a poem sung. So the, when we say psalm, we really mean song, S-O-N-G. That's what it was. And the ascent comes from the place that they were going when they were singing these songs. Jonathan preached a few weeks ago on uh, how Mount Hebron is the, the highest point in Israel, and actually that certainly is true, but when people would go to worship at the annual feast in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is always up from wherever you are coming from in, in Israel, really, and so they would ascend to the temple in Jerusalem, and these were the songs that they sang as they went up to worship. And so that's why we've done this series uh, on the Psalms of Ascent is because they were preparing their hearts to worship in the temple, and we want to prepare our hearts to worship this Christmas season. And so they would sing these songs that would help them to remember things. It, it was a time to reflect. It, it was like a road trip. I don't know how many of you, maybe you took a road trip on Thanksgiving, and, and you're going on a road trip, and, and I actually really enjoy driving. Uh, I enjoy driving because it's like I, my mind just gets to, to wander. It gets to think, and I enjoy doing that. And I even enjoy listening to music or something like that. This was like the Psalms of Ascent were like God's mixtape on a road trip. You know, this is like, I don't know, maybe mixtape is CD. Did you burn a CD? I don't, I don't know. What did you do? Okay, thanks, guys. You're not helping me here. Okay. But you know, you put together a collection of songs that you want to listen to as you travel somewhere, and it helps your, it helps your mind relax, and you get to reflect on, on life. And yes, it's about the destination, but you're also thinking about where, where you're coming, and that's why I like long road trips, because it takes me a while to start unloading the things from my normal life for day that I've been that, are, that have been the, the pressure of the urgent, and then I begin to think about the important, and that's what the Psalms of Ascent are here for, and that's why we've put them here for you during this time of Advent because we want to give you time to reflect. Now, this is certainly Monday morning relevant, but the way that I want to approach this, this psalm and next week as well is I want to give you time to just reflect. Like, this is a road trip where we can start taking off our mind the urgent things that have, been, that have given us pressure during our everyday lives, and we begin to reflect on what is most important, and we get to prepare room for God in our hearts and we get to ask him to look into our hearts and say, this is taking up too much room, and we need you to deal with that, Lord, because we are all ascending to worship him this Christmas season. So that's the purpose of this series in the Psalms of Ascent. And today we're going to cover Psalm 128, where he's going to tell us the right kind of fear we should have during the holidays. And so if you will, look at it with me. I just want to read through it. Psalm 128, verses 1 to 6, the entire psalm. 
Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And may peace be upon us as we hear God's word. So what I want to talk about today and what I think the psalm teaches us from Psalm 128 as we ascend into the holidays is that the right kind of fear leads to good fruit. The right kind of fear leads to good fruit in our lives. You see, the wrong kind of fear, the fear that we talked about, the fear that comes from pressure and anxiety, that leads to bad fruit. And so often our holidays are filled, are filled with the wrong kind of fear. And the wrong kind of fear is the fear of man or the fear of people's opinions, the fear of what people will think. And so often when we live in the fear of other people, we make choices that aren't honoring to God. And so what he's trying to reframe here is, are we walking in the fear of people or are we walking in the fear of God? And what I love about this is, and it specifically talks about walking, which I will emphasize in just a second, but these Psalms of Ascent, they were read and sang as a congregation. Remember, nobody made this journey as they ascended to Jerusalem alone. They all, made, they all made this journey together as a community. The road trip was together. And we've got to remember that, that we are a family of faith. I, Jen and I call Christ Chapel our family, and we consider you family, and we walk this together because we must lean on one another that we keep a right fear in front of us because the right fear leads to good fruit. And he tells us what the right fear is. If you look back at verse one, he says, blessed is everyone. Everyone, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now, bless, you can translate it uh, happy if you want to. Uh, it's, a, it's a really loose translation, but it really means you will be happy if you fear the Lord. It's, it's a really interesting concept when you talk about the fear of the Lord. Actually, fear of the Lord, that, that phrase, and a fear associated with God, is actually used 300 times throughout Scripture in a positive manner. Like, it's a good thing to fear the Lord. Now, probably just because we have young, young boys, I was thinking about how do you teach the fear of the Lord. Because, you know, when, when we teach our boys about who God is and, and when we read the children's Bibles and all those things, you know, it's like, God is your friend. God is love. You know, God is, is peaceful and all those things. And now I'm like, Daxon Hayes, you better fear the Lord, you know? I'm like, how do you, how do you teach them this? How do you teach them a fear of the Lord? And we should teach them that he's their friend and all those things, okay? That's age appropriate. That's great but I'm hoping that you're a little more advanced uh, than those children's Bibles. Because what the scriptures teach us is to fear the Lord. In fact, Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. 
That if you want to be wise in this life, you must begin with the fear of the Lord. In fact, fools, this is, this is contrary to the fear of the Lord, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools do not fear the Lord. They don't live in light of his presence. And so in order to teach you about the fear of the Lord, I put this on your sermon notes. I've kind of tried to break it down to give you a comprehensive meaning as to what does it mean to fear the Lord, because you will be happy if you do. You're not going to be afraid. You'll be happy if you fear the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is reverence for God's person. It's a respect for who God is. You, you respect who he is. When, when, when a woman enters the room, what, we, what men try to do is we stand up. You respect them. You, you, you take action when you respect someone. If you were going to meet with someone you respected, you would dress up, you would shower, you would shave. You respect them. It, it, it elicits action. So it's a reverence for God's person. It's an adherence to God's principles. You say, man, because I respect you and because I, I fear you and believe that you are living a life worthy of respect and he is holy, certainly uh, worthy of our respect and reverence and awe and worship, then I want to adhere to your principles. That is, remember, as Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It's the beginning that teaches us how to walk in his ways, that what he's telling us is the right way to live. He, he knows that. And then finally, it is a knowledge of God's judgment. That understanding, and this is the one that probably makes the most sense when you think about fear, um, you should know that you will be held accountable for the way you live. You will be held accountable for the things that you say. You will be held accountable for the things and the way that you treat people. There's an accountability, there's a fear, a healthy fear of God's judgment, of consequences to the way that we live our lives. Now, if you're adhering to his principles and you have a reverence for his person, then you don't fear his judgment. You understand that you're accountable to him, but that there isn't a, uh, uh, an idea where you are afraid that you're going to be judged by him. You know that there is grace that covers sin. And so I, I thought about how, you know, how do you reconcile that, that fear of God with a happy life or, or, or a blessing? And, and it connects with Proverbs 1-7, but I like what a commentator said. Uh, he said, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, just as we read in Proverbs 1-7, but love from the Lord is its completion. When you fear the Lord, that's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It informs how you live and you experience his love. That's why those are blessed. Everyone is blessed who fears the Lord. But then remember, don't forget the second part of verse one. The second part of verse one says, and who walks in his ways. You see, walking in the fear of the Lord that leads to blessing means taking specific steps. Walking in the fear of the Lord that leads to blessing means taking specific steps. It's an active fear of the Lord. I love what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, we are not promised a blessing upon romantic idleness or unreasonable dreaming. This, this, you've, this isn't romantic idleness, 
unreasonable dreaming where you're all of a sudden blessed by the Lord. This is an active fear of the Lord. It takes specific steps. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his way. It works out in your everyday life. And so what I want to do is I want to go through these specific steps. What are the specific steps that we should be taking to live in the fear of the Lord, to experience the blessing, the happiness that comes from walking with him in all these different areas of our life? Now, some of, uh, some of you are going to notice that Psalm 128 is going to sound a lot like Psalm 127. Now, Ted taught on Psalm 127 a few weeks ago, and if you'll remember, Psalm 127 was Solomon's song, and he used the word vanity. It's vain. In vain, you labor. If you labor without the Lord, you build the house in vain. And remember, that connects to Ecclesiastes, which was written by Solomon, in vanity, everything is vanity, vain, vain, vain. That's what he says in Psalm 127. So it, that was a very negative approach, He's saying, if you, do, if you live this life without the Lord, it's not going to go well for you. Psalm 128 is going to cover the same areas, but in a positive manner. Now, do you see why I gave Psalm 127 to Ted? <laughs> so this is the positive of walking with the Lord. So I want to cover those specific areas, but just as we would do on a road trip where we get some space for our minds to think, I'm not going to give you specific action steps, like this is what you have to go and do, although I think those will be implied. But what I want to do is I want to tell you what that life looks like in specific areas, and then I want to ask you a question for you to just reflect on, for you to say, am I living this way? So there, I, my prayer has been that just one of these will impact your heart, just one of these areas that you would go, okay, Lord, you and I need to do some business here. But let's go through those areas where we, I'll tell you a specific step, and then I'll ask you a question. So the first one, the first area he talks about is in your career. In your career, if you're walking in his ways in the fear of the Lord, then you are working with integrity. You're working with integrity. If you look at verse 2, it says, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So it covers the work or the career that someone is doing. And there are some implications, even though this seems like a simple sentence, if you think about the implications of working with the hands, eating the fruit, there's some great things. The first is that this kind of work is honest labor. It, it, it's stuff that you do with your own hands. It's stuff that you've done with the gifts that God has given you. It's not taking advantage, there's no gain in taking advantage from someone else or taking advantage of someone else's skill sets, or skimming off the top from someone else's work. This is labor of your own hands. You worked for this. These are the gifts that God has given you so that you can do the work he's called you to do. And those of you who are in the marketplace, I believe that you are called into the marketplace, and you are meant to be his representative and to work with integrity the way that he's called you to work. So the first is that this, this work of integrity is with your own hands, it's honest. Second, if you look at the word eat, this is about having enough. There is a contentedness in this work. You will eat. You will be satisfied. You will be filled. You know, oftentimes when we think about our work, and especially as you come to the end of the year, you might be evaluating, are you in the right job? Do you have enough? Do you? 
I, I don't know. Are, are you dissatisfied because you're discontent? Certainly be dissatisfied if you're mistreated, I get it. But are you discontent with what God has given you? The fruit of the labor of your own hands. Then the other part of this, he says, you shall be blessed, you shall be happy. Um, I, I love that because there's a sense of completion. There's a sense in which uh, this is almost like you've eaten a good meal at the table and I don't know if you, you do this, but you might notice other people do it or you might even notice yourself doing it, but it's almost like you push back from the table and you're like, that was good. And you just sit with it a second. You're satisfied, you're blessed, you, you enjoy it. You're not anxious to go get more. You're not discontent. You're satisfied, you're filled, you're blessed, you're happy. A sense of completion in what God has given you. Uh, by the way, to all of us who are workaholics, this says, I, I've read this, eagerness to get, I love this quote, eagerness to get steals the ability to enjoy. Eagerness to get steals the ability to enjoy. And that's what I imagine here when he talks about this, this honest labor, working with integrity, not worrying about getting caught, not worrying about uh, cutting corners, but working with your own hands in a way, with the gifts that God has given you, being content with what he's given you and pushing back and enjoying it and saying, thank you, God. Are you working that way? So here's my question for you. Are you listening to the loudest voice or the still small voice at your work? And here's what I mean. As we come up on the end of the year, I know that many of you are gonna have end of year goals uh, many of you are gonna have end of year quotas to meet and you're gonna be very tempted to push the envelope on that, to cut corners, to take shortcuts, to skim from over here, to fudge this number, etc. And let me tell you, you're not gonna rest well. God doesn't bless that life. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways and what that looks like, that specific step is working with integrity. And by the way, a step for maturity, doesn't matter if you're working or not. When we talk about the fear of the Lord versus the fear of man like we did earlier, the goal of maturity is that the still small voice in which God speaks to us becomes the loudest voice. Not that they're opposed to one another, but that the loudest voice we all hear is the still small voice of God speaking to us. That's the goal of maturity that we begin to listen to him, not the loudest voice of our boss, not the loudest voice of the supervisor, not the loudest voice of the I want that, do this, but what is the Lord saying to you in your work? So if you're walking in the fear of the Lord, a specific step is you are working with integrity. He goes into a different area and he talks about your marriage. If you're walking in the fear of the Lord in your marriage, then you are guarding its fidelity. You're guarding its fidelity. At the beginning of verse three, he says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. It's an interesting, interesting picture that's being posed here. Uh, in ancient days in the house, there, the houses were different than what we have these days. There used to be a courtyard in the middle of the, the home, in the center of the home, that was an outdoor courtyard. It was almost like a square donut, 
Weird image, but you get it, right? Hole in the middle. And all of the rooms were off of the courtyard. And so in the center of the courtyard is where people would come together for community or they would come together for connection. The family would come together for fellowship. And what he says here is, your wife will be like a vine within your house. Your wife will, will be inside that courtyard connecting, fruitful, be, that, that obviously implies a sense of, of connection, but, but fruitfulness and joy, joy in the center of the house. But what that vine enjoys in the center of the house is protection from the elements. The wind cannot get to it. You can take care of it. You can nurture that vine inside the courtyard of the house. That's the picture that the psalmist has. And he says, if you are walking in the fear of the Lord, then you're guarding, you're protecting the fidelity of your marriage, and you're connecting there inside the home with your spouse, which I think is a great application for us, especially as we get some free time, maybe this holiday, as we think about guarding the fidelity of our marriage. So here's my question for you. Are you protecting and pruning away distractions to nurture your spouse? Are you protecting and pruning away distractions to nurture your spouse? You know, as you think about this and you think about the fear of the Lord, one of the things that we always have to remember, and I, I try to go back and remember this as much as I can, is that before they were your husband or wife, they were God's son and daughter. And the heavenly father cares about how you treat his son or his daughter. And so when we talk about the, the accountability and the adhering to principles and all those things, daddy cares how you treat his child. And so are you protecting the marriage? Are you, are you connecting within the walls of your own home. There's a great proverb that I won't bring up, talks about drinking from your own cistern. Let me tell you, folks, whoever your, sp whoever your spouse is, you're gonna eat that fruit, no matter how sweet or bitter. And if you nurture it, then it'll be sweet. If you neglect it, then it'll be bitter but you're gonna taste that fruit no matter what because that's what is inside your home. Are you guarding it, protecting it? And then also pruning away distractions. We know that pruning means more fruitfulness. Jesus taught us that in John chapter 15. And sometimes we've got so many distractions in our lives. It could, it could be related to business, it could be related to hobbies. It could be related to a million different things. And sometimes for the sake of your marriage, you need to say, I'm gonna stop doing that to nurture and neglect my spouse. And by the way, when I ask this question of are you protecting and pruning away distractions to nurture your spouse, oftentimes you wanna answer it for your spouse. You wanna say, no, they're not. I keep asking them to. All you can control is what you can control, and that's yourself. What are you, what are you doing? You know, it's kind of like, a, as Paul talks about in the, in the epistles, as much as it is within your control, basically, be at peace with one another. 
What, what are you doing? Are you contributing to the problem? Are you standing outside, tapping your foot? As soon as they do this, then I will nurture them. And you're neglecting it anyway. Folks, hopefully this is gonna be a sweet season for your marriage as you get time together alone. Don't run off to distractions because what society teaches us today is that the successful marriage embraces separateness. That if you wanna be successful, then have separate houses, even celebrities. (laughs) I don't have a separate house. Have separate bank accounts. Have separate hobbies. It's all this separateness. That's what leads to a successful marriage. And you go, wait, hold on. When I made those commitments before God and witnesses, what God did was make the two one. You see, all separateness does is is reaffirm our selfishness. We know that we're selfish. And what he continues to try to do is to push us closer together because he wants you to experience the sweetness that comes from the fellowship of the two being one, nurturing your marriage, nurturing your spouse. So are you protecting and pruning away distractions? By the way, two quick things. Uh, You know, specifically, let me talk to you guys. Guys, if you want a wife who will be like a fruitful vine within your house, then be a, a verse one and two man. Be a man of verse one and two who fears the Lord and walks in his ways, and then you'll get a woman of verse three. Take the lead in that. And by the way, if you're single, just remember that Adam walked with God before God gave him a spouse. So walk with the Lord first. He'll take care of the rest. You just keep walking with him, and then he'll provide in his time. Okay? The the next area that he covers is parenting. In your parenting, you're shepherding them actively. In your parenting, you're shepherding them actively. If you look at verse three, it says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And the children show back up in verse six, but he says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. If you've been to Israel, you see olive trees everywhere. If you haven't been to Israel, go to Israel. Okay, I'm telling you, go to Israel. It's never gonna get cheaper and it's never gonna get safer. It's completely safe, go. You need to go. It will change the way that you read scripture the rest of your life. That trip will bless you all of your days. So go to Israel. And if you've been to Israel, you see olive trees everywhere. You, you know, they have obviously olives. They have tons of olive oil. They make all these wooden figurines and Christmas ornaments and all these things out of olive trees. Olive trees are prevalent there. But what he says about your children, he doesn't say your children are olive trees. He doesn't even say your children are olive branches. He says your children will be like olive. There we go. Come on. They'll be like olive shoots. And what is that? What is an olive shoot? An olive shoot is different than an olive branch. A branch comes up from the same tree. An olive shoot is one of those tender sprigs that's coming up. And the goal is that the sprig, the tender sprig, the olive shoot, will end up being able to be planted somewhere else and become a fruitful tree itself that will break away, just the same leave and cleave from Genesis, break away and bear fruit on its own. Now, here's the funny part, is that every olive shoot is a wild olive shoot. (laughs) Those of you who have young kids, you're like, amen. Olive shoots are always wild. 
but he says they sit at the table. Mine do not. Um, he says they'll be around the table. And the goal is that you would uh, nurture this olive shoot so that one day it would begin to bear fruit on its own. That it would be able to be planted independently. So here's my question. Are you pointing them to the Lord with your words, actions, and prayers? Are you pointing them to the Lord with your words, actions, and prayers? And by the way, if you have um, grown children, let me just throw a fun fact at you. Do you know how long it takes for an olive sprig or, or shoot to be a fruit-bearing, any kind of fruit-bearing tree? 40 years. And I know some of you have been praying and praying and trying and actively trying to shepherd your grown children, and you're like, man, I want to see spiritual fruit. I just haven't seen spiritual fruit. Keep praying. Keep praying. In God's time, in due time, they'll take root. It'll take root. It'll take root. But God's in charge of the fruit. You're not in charge of that. You can't control that. You can only control what you can control. So just continue to be an active shepherd in their life shepherding them with your words, actions, and prayers. And if you have younger children, certainly you, you do your best to uh, try to shepherd your kids with your words, actions, and prayers. If you have younger kids, remember, it takes two to tango, and it takes two to parent. They need mommies and daddies. They need mommies and daddies who love one another, who shepherd them actively. That's the best thing that they need to see, is they need to see Christ's love between the two of you. Jen and I took a family out to dinner the other night. We were, walking, uh, to, we were walking through the restaurant. For some reason, our table was all the way to the back. Um, they, not that I like tables at the front. I don't know why I said that. But we were walking all the way to the back. And um, as I walked through the restaurant, I kid you not, every kid that I saw was looking at a screen. They were looking at a phone or an iPad or something like that. And as I walked by all of those parents, I judged them. And I held my nose up until I got to our table. (laughs) And as we tried to talk to this couple and try to get to know them better, I was like, here's the phone, boys. Like, play a game, look at pictures, do whatever you want to do, because I'm just trying to talk to them. And so parents, I get it, I'm in the boat, same boat with you, but, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with playing games on screens or anything like that. I'm not coming down on that whole, whole hog. Here's what I'm saying is, just are we shepherding our children or are screens shepherding our children? Let's just, let's just say we're gonna shepherd our kids, we're not gonna let screens do it, okay? It's not, it's not an all or nothing. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it's just who's gonna play the most active role? because there, there's a tremendous impact that you can make on those kids. And as it talks about, may you see your children's children and peace be upon Israel in verse six. Let me just give you an illustration. I know this is pie in the sky, but I, I was looking at Jonathan and Sarah Edwards, the Puritan preacher. You remember him of the 1700s? Somebody went back and did research on their family 150 years after they, they had died. 150 years after. Now, they had 11 kids, Jonathan, Sarah, Edwards, 11 kids, 11 olive shoots. And those olive shoots, 150 years after, let me just tell you what the downline looked of their, of their family. 
150 years after their death, included in their family one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 60 uh, professors, 75 military officers, 80 in public office, 100 lawyers, we'll forgive them for that, 100 clergy, and 285 college grads. And you, you go, now I'm not reading that to you for success sake, because we all want successful kids. I read that because those are kingdom influencers. Those, those are people who are influencing people in different sectors for the sake of Christ. And, I, and the, the researcher who did this research looked back at what they did in their home. Every night, they spent an hour in conversation. Not, not, not even about God, just in conversation just talking with their kids, their 11 kids. So they just talked, and then every night, they prayed a prayer of blessing over each child. Every night. I thought, can I do that? I can probably do that. You know, thinking of that, we wanna see those olive shoots become olive trees and be useful and influential for the kingdom of God for years to come, but we've gotta play an active role in that. And then finally, in your city, in your city, are you reflecting the Lord's reliability? Are you reflecting the Lord's reliability? Verse four, behold, thus shall, be the man, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, the prosperity of the city all the days of your life. And I've already mentioned verse six. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. There's a longevity here. There's a reliability that as you walk in the fear of the Lord, you begin to reflect his character and the city can even depend on you. The city can depend on your children. Your city can depend on your children's children because you are reflecting the reliability of God's character because you're working with integrity, you're guarding the fidelity of your marriage and you're actively shepherding those wild olive shoots. That, that's, that's what blesses the city. And so I ask, are you conveying God's blessing as you walk in his ways? Are you reflecting him? Are you conveying his blessings to our city? It's a great time of year to be able to do that. I'm always reminded of, when I think about this blessing people, I'm always reminded of Genesis chapter 12, when God blesses Abraham, Abram at the time, he says to him, I am blessing you, why? So that you will be a blessing. Not so that you will be a storehouse, but so that you will be a conduit and convey his blessings to other people to show him the reliability of the Lord, to show him the grace, character, and nature of who God is. And how great would it be if this season that we not only prepare room for him in our own hearts, but we prepare him room in other people's hearts as we convey his blessing to others. You see, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of preparing him room and receiving his blessings. It's not walking in a fear of man. It's not being afraid of what the holidays will bring because God is sovereign and in control. It's walking in his ways in a fear of him and experiencing his goodness and favor. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you bless those who walk in your ways. Lord God, would you give us wisdom and discernment this season, as we step forward into certainly things that we don't know, but you know, things that we can't foresee, but you foresee, that we would walk in such a way that we prepare room in our hearts, and it prepares room in hearts for folks in our city.
folks in our workplaces, folks in our family. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.